Okay, we are live. Uh, today, we're very grateful to have John Wedger on the show. John is a retired London Metropolitan Police Detective that spent 27 years on the force, specializing in child abuse and vice investigations. John came to prominence for his role as a whistleblower for speaking out against a deliberate police cover-up of a massive child prostitution and sex trafficking ring he uncovered while on duty. John's refusal to stand down ultimately led to his being bullied out of his job, yet also led him further down the dark path to more shocking discoveries. Despite ongoing attacks, John has selflessly dedicated his life to exposing the corruption and systematic cover-up of SRA and child sex slavery and trafficking, and also to be a much needed voice for the silenced and victim-shamed casualties of these heinous vile acts against children of all ages across the globe. John is also an author and podcaster, and it's truly an honor to have him on the show. John, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, it's a pleasure, it's a pleasure. Really? Well, you're a champion for the children, and I think that's probably why most of us are probably relentless with this um, at the core. And your story is so incredible, and what you're doing for humanity is so incredible. Um, I'm sure you've said it a lot of times, but could you quickly consolidate your experience? What got you, you know, how you started as a policeman and then you, you uncovered the canal situation yeah. and you were told to stand down and then you were attacked your son. Uh, you had a, you, they stopped paying you and you were working construction. I mean, the, the, what you've endured and the fact that you're here is just amazing. If you could kind of consolidate that and your experience of how you kind of got here, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I joined the police at the beginning of the 1990s. <clears throat> I had no real understanding of what I was going into. And, um, you know, initially um, I was just a patrol officer and then I become a detective. And it was only really when I was asked to do what's called field intelligence. Um, I'd gone on to the river police and I'd, um, I'd been in an unfortunate domestic circumstance where I'd been left to bring up children on my own. So I had four children to look after. And I, I got a job on, on a really unique and historical policing unit. And it was um, the, the river police on the River Thames, a part of the Metropolitan Police. And they date back to 1798. So very, very ancient sort of um, first police unit in the world. But it was whilst on that unit, I was asked um, by an intelligence officer to look at the um, problem that they were getting. Um, it was really from information coming from the prison system where paedophiles, you know, when they've been convicted um, or they've served uh, a prison sentence, were, were actually going and living on, on boats, on canal boats. Uh, the, in England, we've got um, an extensive um, inland waterways network and, uh, you know, we're, we're an island nation and so we've got um, a lot of um, big uh, navigable rivers and they're connected by this man-made canal network which predates uh, railways and, um, you, you know, it's uh, the next best thing really to what the Romans left us with. And, yeah, you know, yeah. these these were mainly for industrial reasons, but in the latter days, they've become um, recreational and also a place of residence. And canal boats, um, you know, they, they might look small, but, you know, they're quite substantial um, 
uh, like caravans, really, you know, and you can bring up a family in them, you know, fairly comfortably. Um, and what was happening was sex offenders were going and living on these boats and they were moving about. So there was no need for them to um, subscribe to the provisions of what had just been brought in. And that was the Sex Offenders Registry Act, where sex offenders had to register as a sex offenders with the police. So they were going missing and um, no one really knew where they were. But also to go parallel with that, um, a lot of these um, canals, you know, you, there's a lot of interest with children. So kids were um, sort of going down the canals. They liked the boats. Um, they were sort of, um, you can let this fishing and things like that. So it, it was a place where kids would congregate. Um, also, there was a television program at the time uh, about two little dolls that lived on a canal boat. So it was promoting this sort of um, canal lifestyle. But also, respite care was given um, to, to disabled children and, and their families. And they were seen as a very cathartic place for, for the kids to go. And that would be on canal boats. And we found that there was quite a few um, well-established paedophiles were, were getting themselves um, caught up in this, um, or deliberately targeting this little loophole. So I was asked to look at, you know, how many paedophiles could potentially be living on canal boats within the London area. And I was told there'd be two. And uh, if I could look into the problem as a field intelligence officer, proactively look at it, and if I could find another two within the next month, then they'd be doing well. Well, what happened was I found 90, 90. And this is where the problem started to occur because I then was asked to be part of an intelligence sharing uh, forum, uh, which uh, there were people from um, the intelligence services. There was um, people from the, the paedophile unit at, at Scotland Yard. Uh, immigration, the postal service, all got these little paedophile groups, um, um, investigating teams, and we'd link up and we'd share information. And uh, it was then I was told by uh, sort of a well-seasoned detective in this forum that, you know, be very careful. You're becoming very successful at what you do. That's okay ordinarily, but when you're looking into child abuse and paedophilia, it's not, it's not a good idea because, you know, the... Um, the roots of this go very, very deep indeed. And I didn't really understand what he meant, but, you know, I was later to find out exactly what he was on about. I mean, his words were very prophetic, but, there, you know, there was a subject sort of extreme warning there, and he knew and I didn't. Um, and he mentioned about um, a home secretary, which is um, someone just one down from prime minister in British politics who'd uh, been consistently named as being... Um, a person attracted to young kids, a paedophile in essence, and how that they'd had this um, politician in their sights on numerous occasions, and each time the, the funding for the investigation had been pulled and they'd basically been threatened. So he said, be very careful, because this, this may well happen to you. Well, you know, within a matter of days, it did happen to me. I was withdrawn from the unit, told to sort of stay away um, and back down, and, and my inquiry was shut down, and it was highly successful. And... And even the benchmark of, of what I, I sort of formulated as an investigative tool is used to this day. So I was a bit of a pioneer in many ways. 
but it was then I realised that this is important work. And when when you you see that um, eighty percent of the, the the prison population in the UK comes from abused childhood backgrounds, then that doesn't ordinarily mean that it's sexual abuse, but abuse nonetheless. You know, and we've got a terrible prison system in the UK. It's been massively underfunded and privatised, and it's got a huge reoffending rate, uh, again of eighty percent. Um, we've also got an illiteracy rate within the lower category of prisoners of 80%. So these aren't places, you know, of rehabilitation, uh, and places of reassimilation where someone can integrate into society. They actually do the opposite. So when we look at these stats, you know, that child abuse is pretty much the bedrock for a lot of the UK's criminality. Now, if you if you then see statistically that one-sixth of the UK's um, funding, government funding, goes on to crime, punishment, the judicial system, and it's a revolving door, it doesn't work. So I knew at that point that it was highly important that I continued working um, with victims and survivors of abuse and investigating those who perpetrate this abuse. And when we also look at the problem we have with class A drug addiction, heroin, crack cocaine, so many mm -hmm. of these people come, especially opiate abuse, heroin abuse, so many of them come from um, uh, sexual abuse backgrounds, you know, a, a disproportionate amount do. So I um, was disgusted at this unit's behaviour towards me and their reluctance, you know, initially the impetus was very good. And, and I'm very grateful of, of this um, sergeant who was the intelligence officer for, for what he did. Um, brave man. And whenever I talk, give testimony, I always speak highly of this guy. But he really was sort of a, a lone wolf. I then moved on to a vice unit because uh, they worked with children that were involved in, in prostitution. And this is where the big problem started because um, I worked on vice, street vice, it was pretty much every single street prostitute. And I need to stress street because women who work in brothels are different to women who work on the street. You know, when people say about, especially the UK, prostitution is illegal. Oh, if you legalise prostitution, you get rid of this. You do not get rid of that, right? Street prostitution is where women that are harbouring class A drug addictions who in my experience, everyone came from sexual abuse. Every single one. Every single one I dealt with had come from the care system, what we deem the care system, which is uh, the social services, the caring institutions, allegedly, like children's homes, foster parents, you know, adoptive services, things like that. Every single street prostitute was harbouring heroin addiction and had been sexually abused as a child. Um it was appalling, but what we was also finding were young children. You know, this wasn't Dickensian London, this was modern London. You know, and, and how we work at Scotland Yard is a benchmark of so much policing throughout the world. Yet we had children that were working the streets as prostitutes in the capital. It was just appalling. So um, one day I took a young girl, 14-year-old girl, into protective custody uh, because she was walking the streets as a, a loitering for the purpose of prostitution and I took her in and I said to my control room I said look bring in this girl in and they said no get rid of her get rid of her throw her out so they wanted me to throw her out 
out of the car at the early hours of the morning in a very high crime area of London, you know, um, an area known for um, people that are soliciting for the purpose of prostitution, pimps, drug dealers, everything. They wanted me to throw this 14-year-old girl out for the sole reason that she had scabies. And scabies is an, an infectious disease. It's a mite that, you know, uh, comes with poor hygiene and, and unsanitary living conditions. Uh, and I refused to do so, and that caused problems. I then um, was uh, approached to look into allegations made by another 14-year-old girl that she was being uh, pimped out. She was being used to work as a prostitute. So I went to see, I was told she's going to be a liar and that I should take what she says with a pinch of salt. I went to see this girl. She wasn't lying. She'd made many allegations in the past and, and been disbelieved. Um, she was in the care system and she was a very, very small girl, you know, and she'd been worked as a prostitute for the last two years under the nose of the police. But she said, it's not just me, there's others. So she put me in touch with another girl who did likewise, who did likewise, who did likewise. So before we knew it, we had scores of young kids, you know, and what we found out with investigations is that these children had consistently come to notice um, due to their lifestyle, yet nothing had ever been done by not just the police, but by the caring institutions such as social services. Uh, one social worker even told me of a young girl whose um, body was so infected through um, unprotected sex that she had abscesses within the vagina which would regularly burst and she was still being worked as a prostitute and, and this social worker begged me, please, please help. So I realised that, you know, th these kids, that their, their lives were at risk due to their lifestyle. So I, I decided to collate all the information and put a report in and, and expose how big this was because, you know, they hadn't recognised it as a problem and it was a huge problem. Um, thinking, once I'd done that, that we would be properly funded because there's only two of us working on it, you know, for one of the biggest cities in the world, in the Western world anyway, London. And um, the opposite happened. I was actually threatened. I was threatened with the loss of my home, my job and my children if I mentioned what, I, what I'd um, placed in the report. And, you know, and what was going on with these kids were that they were being uh, trafficked, you know, at the bottom end of the market, they were taken to crack houses and passed around for crack cocaine. And at the top end, all in the same day, they could be traded at very, very wealthy, um, upmarket, upper class, um, Arab restaurants uh, and various hotels. And they could be traded into the hundreds, if not thousands of pounds um, as prostitutes. And so I was threatened, you know, with the loss of my home, my job and my children. Now, that scared the life out of me because this is now the second time I've been threatened, all for the same reason. Um, and I, I took it very, very seriously. So I left that unit. And, and bear in mind, this is by someone who was very, very high-ranked, went on to become one of the UK's most high-ranked police officers. And um, I've just had a civil case in, in which this evidence was, was passed over, you know, a case I brought against the police. Um, I went on to um, continue to investigate child abuse, um, 
but on a more domestic level instead of like the commercial level in a different part of London, a, a very impoverished part of London. And, you know, within one week, bear in mind, you know, this is a unit who claimed when I joined that there was no problem with children being sexually exploited. And that had been the case the last two years. Within 10 minutes, I'd found 10 children. And by the end of, of a week, I found 50. And again, the same thing happened again, the threats, the intimidation. Um, and how it all changed for me was that one of the main witnesses um, in the first case, because there was a criminal investigation, and the person that was pimping out these children was in fact a woman who'd been well known to the police, well documented, had a lot of interactions with the police. She was, a, she was a, what's called a known common prostitute. Um, there'd been intelligence reports that she had connections with, with police officers, um, very well-known person. And she was connected to, to a magistrate. She was connected um, to someone within the BBC. Um, and then allegations she was connected to, to members of um, the Metropolitan Police. And again, she seemed to have got away with it from punity for well over a decade, you know, and the little girl that first kickstarted this, she was found dead in mysterious circumstances. So that was really the the catalyst for me making criminal allegations against certain members of the Metropolitan Police for covering this up. So I made allegations of corruption against um, the senior officer and two other senior officers. And I was told it would be taken at the utmost, um, uh, not just secrecy, but, you know, importance. Um, I was given vulnerable and intimidated witness status. And what happened then, instead of them investigating these officers, because what they did was, with, with allegations of such gravity, ordinarily, uh, every single officer would have been suspended and would have been dragged in and interviewed, at the very least interviewed under caution. Um, but they weren't. What they did, the uh, the corruption police rang them up, just rang each officer up and said, is this true what John was just saying? And of course they all denied it. And so they thought that that was grounds enough to stop this investigation. Um, and then they then turned their um, attention into um, investigating me for a plethora of, of bizarre offences, um, which went on for three years, uh, which saw um, nine cases against me um, being put up to the, the Crown prosecutors, so the Queen's prosecutors, to get me before a court. Every single one failed. Um, I then sort of went sick you know, um, stress-related things because of it. And it was classed as an injury on duty, how I've been uh, treated. So, therefore, they should have paid me. They, they then halved my pay and then they put me on no pay. And it turned out that I was placed under surveillance for 18 months. Um, I met up with other um, police whistleblowers who came to light post-Jimmy Savile. You know, Jimmy Savile was a well-known TV celebrity. A paedophile, um, and later it, it was um, found that the man was involved in Satanism um, as a result of of 
initially the BBC denying, because he worked for the BBC as a kiss presenter and disc jockey, that this man had any um, connection to, to paedophilia. It was later found that thousands and thousands of victims uh, were out there due to this man, you know, and have been protected not just by the BBC, but by the British establishment because he was connected to, to Prince Charles, uh, to Margaret Thatcher, a former prime minister, um, and people like Netanyahu and um, various people on on a international stage. Um, and as a result, we started seeing whistleblowers. You know, it's when whistleblowing really came to the fore in the UK. And there was quite a few high-profile police officers started speaking out, not just on Jimmy Savile, but one was speaking out about mainly to do with children's homes. One was speaking out about uh, grooming gangs, um, mainly Muslim Pakistani gangs that were preying on uh, vulnerable young white girls and trafficking for sex. There was a police officer who had exposed that. She was uh, threatened, bullied, intimidated, same as me. There's another uh, guy that had exposed a children's home in the um, island of Jersey. The UK has these overseas territories all around the place. And we've got a lot of... Um, uh, what do they call them? Um, they're reliant on the UK. You know, we got the, the UK's got them everywhere. Ex-colonial. We got a thing called the Channel Islands. Um, the, these groups of islands just off the coast of of uh, northwest France, and one of them is called Jersey. It's a tax haven, and there've been horrific um, abuse of children, which was alleged to actually not not just be torturous behaviour, but satanic ritual abuse as well. So we keep seeing Satanism has stuck cropping it up, you know. Um, something I've really dealt with, um, was sort of aware of it because I'd worked in areas um, of London, you know, what we class as ghetto areas. Um, I come across a thing called Opia, which was a Jamaican version of voodoo. Uh, we had a large Congolese population after the... Um, the, the, the troubles out in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo um, and that was some indigenous belief system which mm. is basically voodoo um, mm. and we had a large West African Ghanaian and Nigerian population so it so, would crop up but mm. in respect to satanic ritual abuse um, the, the white middle and upper classes you know I'd heard of it but I'd never really come across it and it was at this stage that I started linking in with victims and survivors of abuse, as well as the whistleblowing coppers. And all the whistleblowing police all said the same thing, that, um, you know, there is this algorithm of bullying that the police roll out, that, that first, that, you know, you'll start getting accused of data protection violation, then your house will get raided, then you'll get sacked, and then they'll have you before a court. Which is almost exactly what happened. It was predictive, what was said to me um, by both officers, ex-officers that I started linking in with. Uh, you know, these allegations started coming in of data protection violation, saying that I'd misused the police intelligence indices. Um, when that didn't work, uh, there was um, allegations were then made of um, that I'd been supplying and dealing no class A drugs, opiates. I was told I'd get 15 years in prison and it was absolute load of nonsense. It, you know, I'll go on about that if, a bit later if 
you know, because it, it does go yeah. on this way. But mm. it's it's just a ridiculous, um, trumped so, up, mm. bizarre so, allegation that they made. But for me, but John, it's systematic, right? I mean, to to surmise, you're you're on the canals at a you know earlier stage. You you found um, an, an incredible amount of. Um, uh, uh, pedophiles in in canal boats children walk to school along those uh paths and you're told to stand down you go to another department you're told to stand down this is coming from what you eventually said was endemic um you know uh a force within at, at higher ranks that was coming from a top-down military style you know uh shutting off your efforts and um can you expound on that? Yeah, yeah, you see. And I started working with victims and survivors. So then we started getting people that come from, the, you know, the care homes. So the UK had these large care homes which could cater for up to a 1,000 children. And some were run by uh, religious institutions like the Anglican Protestant Church and, and the Catholic Church. And the stories of, of systemic and organised abuse was absolutely incredulous. It was just the, the the most horrific thing I've ever heard, and that was just covered up time and time again. I mean, one one account I will give her was, was um, twin brothers that because of abuse at home, they were placed into a Catholic care institution, and the first night they were in there, they were only nine years old. They were held down by older boys while the priest anally raped them. And then they were taken to parties where it would be all clergymen who would sit around and masturbate while these boys were made to, to um, bugger each other, to, to, to rape each other. You know, uh, I mean, these guys are now in their 50s. They're very, very candid. Um, they, they give these shocking accounts. Um, and, and then if they said anything, they were whipped and beaten. And it, was, and it happened again, but even worse. And that was very, very consistent. And then I started realising that people have been in these care homes suffered the most appalling um, mental health problems, physical problems. A lot of them could never hold down a job because they had trust issues. Anyone in a position of power would abuse it. Uh, Another reason, uh, you know, more of a physiological reason, was that uh, boys and girls that have been anally raped would defecate themselves even in their adult lives during the day because their sphincter muscle had, had been you know so traumatized yeah. you know girls that couldn't have children because their wombs were misaligned because a grown man's penis is not meant to go into a young girl and some occasions babies you know and there'd been no therapy there'd been no counseling for these people and and if they showed any weakness they were whipped and beaten and they were made to perform sex acts on other children so it was an impounded um guilt issue going on and a lot of them went on with alcoholism drug addiction you know and and it was saturated our our, um, institutions such as a prison and remand homes and juvenile homes were absolutely awash where people have come from this background, yet no one had drawn any parallel, let alone speak about it. So I decided, I'm not having this. I'm going to start speaking about this. They are not going to silence me. Um, how it, it really, it was, you know, their overzealous and spiteful nature 
with the with the Metropolitan Police was that uh, in the whole midst of this melee, one of my boys w was injured in a, in an appalling accident and was then placed into um, uh, a uh, ICU, an intensive care unit, and uh, he was in a coma and he wasn't expected to live. And I got a call one day, I went to hospital, and my son, uh, his organs had packed up and he'd actually been declared dead for seven and a half minutes. And they managed to revive him after 10 minutes, um, but he was classed as brain damaged and um, there was no hope for him. So he was given an obligatory period of time on full ventilation and full life support. Uh, which at the time I was told they'd do it for five days, um, anything over that, his lungs will be so damaged, the alveoli in his lungs will be so expanded through due to the trauma of, of the ventilation uh, that they're going to turn the machine off. Uh, by, by the grace of God, um, you know, and a lot of prayer, after three days, my son, not only did he awake, he went on to make what was medically cast as a miraculous recovery. But... You know, what, what these spiteful, foolish individuals within the Metropolitan Police did was that uh, um, after uh, being told that my son was dead, I, I then spent three days. I went home exhausted after three days. And I was um, then informed I was going to be arrested for child neglect because I left my, <clears throat> I think he was 16, 16 year old son home alone with my 26 year old son. Yeah, yeah it, it, it just. Anyway, yeah. funny well, I mean, when I John, I think the the common the I'm going to pass you to Chris, but I think the the thing that is causing this is is, is a perverted belief system in in a, a deity that's evil, um, and it's a belief system that's a cancer that's global, and this is why such heinous acts can occur. Well, well, well of, of course, I, I mean, I, I was yet to draw that. Um, parity between um in my experiences it was only when people started then disclosing to me that they've been abused in a, in a ritualistic environment okay. i mean more recently i've had people come to me that, that have, have come from um caribbean and west african cultures and it's exactly the same thing yeah. you know and and it is is, is a pervasiveness of pure evil uh, these people proactively worship negative deities. Um, and, and John, as, as crazy as it sounds, um, this goes back to Sumer and Babylonia and the worship of Baal and, ba and, um, and, and Moloch, right? So nothing's really changed. It's just no, gone underground. No, so, no, it never has changed. I mean, yeah. I mean, Baal worship, you know, they, some call it Bilal, Baal. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, it goes back to Sumerian belief. I mean, um, what I can't, I can't remember. This is where the Jezebel comes from in the Old yeah. Testament. You know, Elijah, yeah. the spirit of Elijah. So, you know, John, let me let me pass you to Chris because we. It's such a treat. I mean, it's an honor to have you here, and, and everyone wants to get in, and, and time's ripping by. So, I'm going to cut off because I want everyone else to get a chance to, to ask you questions. So, I'm going to pass you to Chris. Why okay. the mind wars? John, great to have you on. I've been following your work and uh, Wilfred's work for many, many years, so it's great to actually finally talk to you. And, you know, the SRA itself is a very underground, underbelly 
movement i know a lot of people who are awake and i mean awake by the likes of the agendas the covid scam all that nonsense that's going on but as soon as i bring up the word sra i can see the blank stare in their face straight away it's like that piece of the puzzle they're like what what is that again chris can you can you run that by me they know all the rochas rock all the usual subjects but when it comes to that it seems to be a no to give people a bit of, a bit of context around sra itself because sra is completely different um, I, I actually believe it should be called SRT because it's a, you know, a satanic ritual torture is what it is because abuse is almost a, a mild, mild word to what these people, these kids and children, infants um, are actually going through itself. But because and we have to distinguish, obviously, it's important to distinguish between SRA and pedophilia because they're two, they're not the same uh, subject as well that people actually might comprehend in the same sentence. And to get, if you could basically describe this the distinction between sra and pedophilia but also just before you do that john as well to give people a bit of context as well is because all organizations and this is no different the sinister organizations that go on around the world every different thing has all their pyramid structures i know especially got to do with the child pedophilia the trafficking all that area as well they have their own pyramid structure if you could go through that as well obviously from the bottom up the different layers and different compartmentalized sections they have how it works from the people on the ground to the people upwards. Yeah, um, I mean, everything has got a hierarchy. Um, now, you, some some things which could initially be looked at as satanic ritual abuse, you know, it, it's just paedophiles. Any, anyone who has sex with a child is doing the work of the devil, full stop, you know, and there's a special place in hell. Um, and especially those hide behind, you know, deity worship even those that hide behind the name of jesus christ in order to abuse children which we've seen a lot in the uk and we've seen a lot globally um especially around the catholic church and again we can't put all the blame on the catholic church because at least the pope has recognized it we're yet to see the same sort of recognition from other faiths um satanic ritual abuse is a purpose behind it it's driven by a purpose you will get people who claim to be devil worshippers raping children, but they're nothing more than paedophiles that just enjoy it. It's an excuse. No matter what way we look at this, a child never has a choice. An adult does. Right? We get intergenerational abuse um, where it's passed on. And what, what it is, that there's a need to appease the demons. Demons need to be given a home. Raping a child... And, and certain ceremonies will give a demon a home. They are imparting demons into these children. And you're right, these people are forever tormented and tortured unless there is the relevant deliverance and treatment is given. Um, I, I spoke to many people that, that suffer um, from fractured minds, you know. Um, th this alters, you know. Uh, Disassociated Identity Disorder, DID. Um, and it can be quite um, shocking when you do deal with people because they, they will actually change in front of your own face. And that's where you know someone has really come from horrific treatment, you know? So there is a need for these demons to be given a home and then for this generation of abuse to continue and to continue and to continue. Like we said earlier, this is ancient. This goes back to days of old. This is pre-flood behaviour. It's alive and it's well. And there's nine, there's nine demons, and the hierarchy of demons, you know, uh, the choirs of angels, the choirs of demons as well. You know, there's nine main demons, and under them a legion after legion after legion of other demons. They can't 
um, ascend into heaven because they don't come from there, you know. However, you know, we go on to hear about the Nephilims and, and things like that. So each demon has their own principality, you know. So you will get, we mentioned Baal, you know. Baal, we see um, a picture sometimes as a bull. We're seeing a lot of these adverts in the UK at the moment. Uh, they're finance companies, and it's called Money Supermarket. And it's where people can get very um, high interest rate, quick, uh, fast loans, you know. And, and in these adverts, there's a bull. Well, why is there a bull there? It doesn't make any sense. Well, there's a bull because that is representing Bow. And Bow is behind the justice system, and it's behind the financial system. We've got other demons like Azazel. You know, again, which have their own principalities, Molech, its own principalities, and so on and so forth. You know, and there's been many, many films that, that have depicted this. I mean, I watched one the other day with Denzel Washington called Fallen. Um, and it's it's about a detective who starts investigating murders. And it, and it's actually, it, what it's doing, it's, it's highlighting the principality of this god Azazel and what Azazel is. You know, we've got Leviathan which is behind the fashion industry, the music industry, the serpentine spirit, you know, Python, Paimon. There's a film called Hereditary at the moment, which goes on about Paimon and the deities. You know, these are very, very powerful deities. And when we look at, you know, the people like you mentioned, like the Rothschilds, you know, these are what, what they're into. And some of these people, they're, they're, not, they're just shells of human beings. Underneath them, they are riddled with demons. And the more we go through um, into modern history, the more we, we, we lose sight of what, what we should be doing. You know, this is an ancient battle between good and evil. You know, I stand firmly with Jesus Christ. That is my strength. That is my power. And he's my Lord, my Savior, because I've seen the good works he's done. You know, he gave me back my son and I vowed to continue his work in helping children and helping to expose this evil that, that is totally saturated our society. You know, the Bible has warned us about this. You know, it's told us, you know, that, that the, you know, the devil is a prince of the earth. And this is what we're up against. It's a monumental struggle and we are really losing our faith. And the more we lose our faith, the more we lose our weight and the more souls we lose to the devil. And it's about time we got together and we started dragging it back. We are seeing murders go through the roof. We are seeing pornography as, as the norm now. The transgenderism that, that, that's going on. And again, I'm not here to denigrate anyone. I know a lot of people that have gone on to various gender issues that have come from the most, um, you know, appalling abuse. And no wonder some people end up making some some life choices that they later uh, regain on so i'm not hearing any judgment whatsoever I, i've gone through a journey that has really made me understand people society and the control system now i can only i can only answer for the united kingdom how as a united kingdom ended up in such a terrible state it's in and that no emphasis is put onto child abuse but we've got a look at the political forum, right? We've got, like every country has got, a civilian police force. Some countries have a, have a military police force which are allowed on civilian soil. That's not allowed um, in Europe, although the Spanish and the Italians do have it, but on the whole it's not allowed. 
but other countries they do have military police but we, we don't have a junta we have civilian police service but we have military intelligence units mi5 which deals with homeland stuff mi6 which deals with, with foreign stuff now they are there to prevent any any instability to the political and the financial and the health and a few other um you know areas of our society and the moment you start violating that you go outside the remit of the civilian police and you then go into this bizarre world of military intelligence which is pretty much unaccountable and military intelligence they have interjected when it comes to civilian policing mainly when it comes to paedophilia right and there's a thing called a d notice that gets served on journalists and it expanded about a lot in the UK that when a journalist is speaking out, they get a D notice served on them. And and people didn't really know what a D notice was. It stands for defence notice. Right, so if a journalist is exposing the sheer extent of, of, of paedophilia within British society, all of a sudden this D notice passed on them. You mention the word of it, you're going to prison, if not worse. Right? But they never knew it meant defence and, and it's a weapon of the military intelligence. And it came during the First World War to prevent people talking about what was going on with, with, with the soldiers, with the Navy. And they said, loose lips sink ships. That was the old adage. So why are D-notices by the military intelligence being served on civilian journalists and, and, and civilians that are speaking out about child abuse? Well, because of our politicians. In, in the late 60s, early 1970s, a pro-paedophile group called PIE, P-I-E, called Paedophile Information Exchange was set up in the UK and it had the backing of the Labour government. And there were three senior Labour politicians who are still in post today. They're what's classed right honourables, so they're a member of the Queen's Privy Council. These three women were backers of Pi, a pro-paedophile group, which wanted sex um, between a man and a boy under the age of four legalised. They wanted the age of consent between a man and a girl re reduced, I think it's to about 12 years old. They allowed this group Pi to talk at the an annual Christmas conference one year. And it turned out that this group Pi, whose members included a head of, of the Boys Brigade, um, senior military personnel, senior police officers, right, were being funded by the Metropolitan Police's special branch for three years consecutive. Right, we, we have politicians, right, which are given political advisors, PAs, not, it's not to be mixed up with personal assistance. So these are people, a bit like a judge gets a clerk who, who has the ruling on law and the steer on law, whereas the judge might not know it, whereas a clerk needs to know it, and they advise the judge. Here, our politicians are given a PA, and their PAs steer them in, in what is, you know, political, their jurisdiction, and what isn't. Right, now, the last five um, prime ministers of the UK have had PAs that, uh, that have been involved in paedophilia, right, if not convicted of paedophilia. And, and we have seen so many politicians that have been in the cabinet, the inner sanctum of the British political forum that have been accused or investigated or arrested for crimes against children. It's absolutely appalling. You know, when we see earlier on, like I said, how much of society is affected by paedophilia, 
yet the police, there's no emphasis on it. The moment someone speaks out, they are attacked. You know, the fact that government is covering it up. You know, uh, the, the church has had involvement in it. You know, there's an elephant in the room here, and this elephant in the room is called Satan. You know, and we, we are sitting there and we are ignoring what is blatantly in front of us. You know, there are churches in the UK where if a priest mentions the word Satan or Lucifer, they're told not to do it again. You know, what are we doing? You know, we need to call out our enemy here. We need to take back our strength. You know, we need to empower our youth, you know, and we need to, to be properly prepared for the spiritual warfare that we are in. It's not what's in front of us. We are in it. We are seeing the family network break down. You know, um, pornography is available. There is no safety net. The fact that all someone has to do is click, are you 18? And they think that that is good enough to prevent the child looking at pornography. You know, it, it's just so twisted and perverse. But the only thing I can think of that we really are in, as predicted, the end times. And this is what we've got to expect. But, you know, the war's not lost. It's only just begun. But how are we going to get by if we don't stand together? Whenever anyone like myself makes a stand, you know, I hope no one has to endure the trolling campaign that I've been through. Absolutely appalling. And that is on top of, of, of the treatment I got from the Metropolitan Police. You know, instead of praising me for what I'm doing, I went and I sat down. You know, I'm a Christian. I was brought up a Catholic. I went and had a meeting with the Cardinal for the United Kingdom. Right? He wouldn't see me. He said that he couldn't because he was elsewhere. So he deputised it to a bishop um, in charge of London. And funnily enough, when I went to meet with a bishop, I bumped into the cardinal in the cathedral. So that was a lie to start with. And the bishop turned around and started blaming the, the child victims and not the priests who perpetrated the abuse, the rapes and the buggery against children. But the, this priest saw it was more, more poignant to blame the children. You know, where do we go from now? Yeah, you know, everything, everything with these people is a complete inversion, of course, which is which is satanic uh, by definition in itself and the way they operate and what we touched on a minute ago as well, like about uniting and sticking together. That's, they want the opposite. Everything is a divide and conquer. Look at the last 15 months or so alone has been more obvious than ever as a divide and conquer tactic. Everything that they're doing and dictating to yeah. us is divide, divide, divide. And that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years um, as well. But could you just, I know, just briefly, if you can, because I think it's fascinating. Some people don't even realize these pyramids. If you can talk to the different people, that, that actually how it actually works in the trial trafficking itself, that pyramid yeah. structure that actually goes on from the, the people on the streets right up to the the higher rankings as, as it be. Well, what, what you've got, like everything, you, you have got a pyramid of power. So at the base level, when it comes to the satanic abuse, you've got things called the lookers. So these people will actually be proactively looking for, for the next victim. Right, you're going to get intergenerational abuse. Where, where a child is 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 raped and is tortured um, and has gone through the most horrific treatment. Again, this is done to appease the demons and to impart demons and, and, and everything else. But also victims are needed. You know, they need fresh victims because there's a lot of perversion in these ranks, you know. So um, if, if you've spent a long time grooming a child and you've been sexually abusing a child, you're not really going to want to kill that child because that will just make the demons homeless anyway. And, and again, all the effort you put in. But that's not saying they don't kill children, because they do kill children. 
because children are part of it. It's all to do with the blood. The blood is a life force. So they'll be looking for victims and they usually come from the underclasses, from the care systems. These are disposal children that society does not want. Um, that's why it's strong to keep a, a, a very bonded family unit. Um, otherwise, these perverts take over. So what happens then is the lookers will go looking out for weak members of society, weak families, drug addicted parents, single parents and things like that, you know. Um, and then once they do that, they identify that, then they pass it on to the next level. Okay, there's spotters. And again, they're pretty much similar. And they will have people that will be also within the care system, within the health service, social service, within the police. But above them are fixers, and fixers are there to start um, procuring the children for various parties, rituals, and everything else. But not only are they there for that, they're also there to make sure, you know, that everything goes smoothly. All right, this is where we had this guy called Jim will fix it. Jimmy Savile, his problems called Jim will fix it. You know, that speaks for itself. Um, and above that, you get cleaners. And these are people then that are brought in to deal with the aftermath. To, to make sure not, not just that their area is physically cleaned, but forensically it's clean as well. So there is no DNA left. And also, if you're going to hold these such meetings and everything else in the middle of the night, you, you've got to make sure that you're not going to clog the road up with cars. You know, that your screams aren't going to be heard by other people. So you've got to need to know that, you know, every everywhere is safe and is covered. And there isn't going to be any backlash. And if there is, then they step in and deal with this. You know, and I was told about a police officer that, that, that I knew that was named as being one of these. Uh, and then from there, you go up to the international fixers where they'll start dealing with children that are being moved about from country to country, you know, and then it goes on to a higher level. And then what I was told about was a group called the Bloods. These are bloodline families. Um, and and their job is to, um, well, they're, they're the ones who, who, who utilise the children, you know. Um, the benefit from the children, these are, these are people high up in business, in finance, in intelligence, in security. And on top of that is the royals, which, which are the ruling families, you know. And then that's how it's structured, you know. And so that was given to me by a former um, member of Satanism, was verified by, by other members, ex-Satanists, and also by victims and survivors, you know. But... It, also, you get people that are involved in demonology, you know, because that, that, again, it's its own discipline. And these are people that are full time and they will be praying rituals. So these rituals uh, may involve a business deal that needs to go right, a court case that needs to fail. You know, uh, your position needs to crumble. The police need to, to either get involved or not get involved. You know, and these well, a lot of a lot of the Freemasons, of course, are um, you know they are infiltrated all the, the the one square mile of London, that city of London, shall we say? There's a umpteen of them there. They've taken over loads of the court systems as well. If you bear with me, I'm just going to hand this over. Do you better hold that for James? I'm going to hold this over to my friend. So um, I'll just go because I'm going to have to move my car, but I'll stay with you and let's tilt that like that. That's it. Hold it like that, and so I can. I'll, you'll get my attention, but I can then also um, but um, yeah, I mean Freemasonry. It's the same thing. I mean, ultimately, 
you're, you're investing, you know, you're up against the devil. Um, I was approached by one guy and he was, yeah, bring forward like that's it. One guy, he's, he's a, a former detective and his career wasn't going where it should be going. Um, and he was approached to join the Freemasons. Next minute, his career started moving forward. Um, and then um, I lost touch with him. I met up with him nine years later. And he said to me, whatever you do, have nothing to do with Freemasonry. And I said, well, w w what's your change of heart? And he turned around and said, it's devil worship. Um, and, it, and he said, you know, he didn't realise it until he started getting into the higher, higher levels, such as the Knights Templar. And they started worshipping gods such as Baphomet. Yeah, because that's unfortunate for some of these lower-ranking Freemasons at the very bottom of the degrees. They have no idea what they're actually getting into. Because, like we spoke about compartmentalization, that's all compartmentalized as well. So the next guy or the next level up is not going to tell what the what's happening on the you know to the guy below unless he feels he's fulfilling what what needs to be done to actually get onto those rankings. But at the very tip of it, I mean, it is absolute satanic. But the lower the lower echelons of it, the lower core, they have no idea themselves actually what they're getting into. Well, well, it's the same as with business as well. And what was said to me by someone who was very involved in demonology is that um, once you understand demonology, you, you then understand politics. You will understand finance. And you, you will understand, uh, you know, um, the whole system that we've got today. And it, it is all based on these very, very ancient deities and the worship of deities and the discipline behind it you know and what we've got to look at is you know christians go to church they spend 50 minutes in the church once a week and that's too much for them people involved in these cultic people they will spend night after night after night praying and there is huge money in it as well you know water is used a lot and we've had numerous um cases in the UK where decapitated bodies have turned up you know in water courses such as the River Thames there was quite a high profile one many years ago where a young boy his corpse turned up um, a decapitated corpse on the River Thames and you know what was said to me is that that is um, uh, a cultic work you know that is uh, voodoo and that will be someone has paid a huge amount of money um, for this ritual to take place, you know, and they never caught anyone. He said they'll never catch anyone because they're looking in the wrong place. So the, the police aren't educated in this, or there's a reluctance to be educated in this. You know, we're an ex-colonial nation. Like I said earlier, we've got a huge West African population here. When you take countries such as Benin, Benin is sandwiched between Nigeria and Ghana. Benin they 80%, a conservative estimation, 80% of, of the population of Benin still consult voodoo, uh, juju men and witch doctors, 80%. I mean, that is just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it, on paper, it's a Christian country. Incredible, incredible. It's, John, I, I, I would love to say talk to you more. I'd love to go down the route of the royal families, the, all that, and the, the reigns list. I mean, there's so many questions, but I don't want to hog all the time because I have a few more people on the panel here as well. I don't want to jump in with questions. Well, well if, if I may just go on about the reigns list, because the reigns list, is, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. The reigns list, for those who don't know, was, was a list formulated by a lady called Dr. Joan Coleman, who's a leading psychotherapist and psychiatrist. 
um, at an inner London hospital. And she couldn't work out why so many uh, victims and survivors of abuse were suffering such appalling mental health problems. Um, and especially when it comes to this thing called DID. Um, she started interviewing them. And people started saying very, very um, uniform things. And it was all to do with ritual abuse. But they started mentioning people and places. Uh, and if the same place was mentioned twice or more, it was put down. So, so a minimum of three people had to mention it. And the same with people. They went on this list. And this has become a public record. I mean, th this list is basically a who's who, really, of British politics and celebrities. It's a 16-page document, you know, and there is even the former head of the police unit that I was working on is named on this list as being an active Satanist. This list I have given to the regulatory body for the Metropolitan Police, the, the overarching investigative ombudsman, and um, they told me never to write to them again. Uh, you know, no politician has ever, ever taken this up yet. It was handed to David Cameron, personally handed um, by, by someone that, that was um, involved in a kids' charity, and that person was shut down, you know, the next day, um, and then was investigated. So it's... Mm. Um, well, you've a lot, you've a lot of the clergy and the politicians are involved in that list as well. Besides what you mentioned, the police force. Yeah, well, well, um, uh, Murphy McCormick, um, O'Connor, the former um, cardinal for the U for the United Kingdom, he is named on the Reigns list. He's head of the Catholic Church, as was the predecessor to Vincent Nichols, a previous cardinal. How is that even allowed? You know, it just and, and why has no one ever ever Done, done a proper news article, um, you know, failing that even a documentary on this, but I haven't. You know, it just none of it makes any any sense whatsoever. You know, and and this I, I would say it's the single most important document that we have is the Reigns List. You know, it's yeah. there. You just Google it. You know, it's an acronym for Ritual Abuse Informa Information Network Support. You just got to Google this document, and it's all there for everyone to see. Yeah, yeah, no it's an incredible document. Yeah, yeah. I'll pass you over, Roy, if you want to jump in there with some questions for John. Thanks for your time, John. Okay, um, yeah, because I heard uh, mention about the rains. So I was going to ask you about that. Uh, I watched uh, uh, your interview with uh, Jeanette Archer, and to yeah. be honest, it was so. Like basically, she was abused from a child. Like I cried a few times listening to it. It was so intense. And yeah. like my question is, because like her father was abusing her and the grandfather, so it seemed like the grandfather was abusing the father. Like if we're looking yeah. to try to find solutions for this, is it from your experience? Have they all been abused down the line, and they just kind of condition them to lose their emotions? Should we have forgiveness because they had no choice in life? Well, I mean, we all have a choice as adults, you know. We can all break the circle, you know. Uh, I spoke to many of victims of abuse. I've been with one today, a guy who was horrifically. Bear in mind, it wasn't satanic ritual. But it was horrific rapes and everything. He went on to become one of the most prolific um, uh, armed robbers in the UK. He's now a family man. 
And this guy wouldn't even touch a hair on his children's head. He loves them that much. And, you know, he had a choice. And his choice was that he loves his kids and he wants to protect his kids. To such a degree, he's now a public speaker. And, and, and he's working on becoming a therapist for those who've endured what he's been through. Um, so it's just an excuse when they say they had no choice. You know, as an adult, you always have a choice. Your children have no choice. And, and so I, I don't wear that argument at all that, you know, um, it's, I didn't have a choice. I'm, I'm just not buying it. You know, it's, um, it's a nonsense. Yeah, but it's, you know, it, I mean, with Jeanette's story, it just goes to show the intergenerational um, and, and connectivity of these people. You know, her grandfather was a highly connected person, you know. How did he get away with it? Why was there a lacklustre approach for the Metropolitan Police? You know, at the very least, dig up the farm in which the abuse went on. Dig it up. Prove Jeanette wrong, but they didn't even do that. They didn't even do that. And that would have been the very, very least you'd have done as an investigator. Gone on there, we've got a thing called an Esther machine. You know, that, that first saw action after the Falklands War. You know, they'll drag it over a bit of land and it will see any sort of undulation or any activity in respect to excavation. Drag it across there. Not a problem, you know. But no, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, so, you know, where, where, where do the survivors go after the police have turned their back on them? You know, and then they go and they speak out. And the next thing, they get an injunction served on them. Or, or they're getting arrested for, for naming their abusers. We're seeing this time and time again, you know, especially when it comes to um, survivors um, of, of politicians, prominent politicians. You know, I've had members of the royal family as abusers mentioned to me. Again, what do I do with that? There's nothing I can really do with it because the moment you bring them into the mix, that's, that's it, pretty much game over. Um, so we have to take it seriously. Yeah. I've seen um, in the States there was a Navy SEAL who basically made it his mission to kind of fight this. And loads got arrested. But within a month or so, they were all free again. Like, what have you seen in your experience is the best way to bring them down? How can we actually stop them for good? Well, well I say speaking out is always a good way. I would say to anyone, um, if you want something done, you must go to the police. Always give the police the opportunity to do nothing, right? You know, it, history and experience has dictated that on the whole, when it comes to high-profile people, the police will tend to do nothing. But good, let them do nothing. At least they can then be ridiculed and criticised. But if you don't go to the police, if you don't take all reasonable steps, then, then you shouldn't be taking unreasonable steps, you know? Go through the protocol, report it to the police. Um, you, you might be surprised they might do something about it. Who knows? You know, um, things may change. And then speak out. I mean, we've got um, social media, you know. Um, podcasts have been a tremendous way. And what we've got to look at here, people, is that, you know, healing comes about with, with justice or the perception of justice. You know, when I used to interview um, child, child victims of sexual abuse, you could see the absolute relief in their faces once they're given their testimonies. 
because for, for the first time someone's listened to them they've been taken seriously um so you know people have to be given the choice and you know i started doing it i've sort of moved away um i'm now doing a lot more hands-on work very much in the background now because i don't need um to have my name out there like i once did you know um but it doesn't mean i've gone away i've just moved away from from facebook because facebook basically is a cesspit um and just as much as there's a need for people to speak out there's also a need for people to stop people speaking out and they do that by ridiculing you you know the moment you were seeing this now with the vaccines the moment you're getting professionals speaking out about the validity of vaccines um, they're just getting attacked or, 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 the, or you know the um, the lie that is the vaccine they're just getting attacked for it um, because there's a need for, for the opposition to attack you because they need to discredit they need to cause disharmony and they need to cause division and this is what our enemy does um, and you know that's what people must understand that when you do speak out you are going to get attacked you know you need to be prepared for that if you can't you, you should really really sort of um, question your motives for speaking out because it's coming your way you know our enemy you know evil has got teeth and it will bite back you know it's a bitter swill to sorry bitter pill to swallow but unfortunately you know that's just how society is there's a there's a lot of very twisted damaged people out there um that will do anything they can to you know they're only happy when, when they're when they're causing pain themselves because these are people that are, are in pain and in order for you to speak out you know then you're going to be put in a vulnerable position and they want to call disarmony and they want to call you the necessary pain because it'll make them feel better um but you must be stalwart and, and and keep to the truth you know be very careful with conspiracies be kept very careful going into remits that you don't really know a lot about um because they'll find anything to discredit you you know i mean I don't really go on about things like the Illuminati because I don't know much about them. I've heard about them, you know. Um, I don't dismiss their existence, but I've not come across them. I've come across Satanists. I've come across victims of Satanists. I've come across demonologists. Um, I've come across corrupt police officers, and I've come across innumerable victims and survivors of the most appalling abuse. So that is my ballpark. That is where I will concentrate. Um, my efforts on and I know that you know when I went out there and made it my mission to speak out you know before I knew it millions of people were aware who I was so I knew I'd done my job you know but I, I, I got a lot of backlash for it you know there was um, a lot of hatred put my way I've um, been informed that I've been uh, the recipient of, of curses that I have been cursed um, but you know good i reverse a curse and send it back double return to sender as they say you know but it's going to happen but and there's a lot of people that don't believe in that side of thing the spiritual thing well if you don't believe in it i'm really not bothered i'm not here to convert anyone that's entirely up to you you know what your belief system is but i'm the more i go in uh, to the world i'm in 
the stronger my belief system gets and it does it just consolidates it and and i'm i'm in a what i think is a strong position and and i've got a lovely group of people around me a really lovely group of people but when you get survivors you're going to get trauma as well you know we've just um coming out of of, of a terrible period known as beltane which is an ancient festival you know and um the, the amount of survivors of abuse that have contacted me that have been suffering with really bad body memories and flashbacks uh, you know and that they've really had a, a negative turn in their mental well-being because it, it's affected them so much and they haven't really realized it because their memories aren't there because they're, they're so deeply traumatized um, so it's having a greater understanding of what we're dealing with you know and i like to think that i've been you know a, a major influence in that field oh, absolutely and uh, just finally before i pass you over to hartman in these rituals you'd hear them that they're chanting do you know what they're chanting about have you heard anything about what the chanting is about well well, well they'll, they'll also be doing like their demonic incantations some of this may be ancient they have demonic speaking in tongues so when you get Christians that do a thing called speaking in tongues, there is the same thing. There is a demonic version of that. Um, there, there will be prayers to their deities. There will be um, uh, invocations going on. Um, offerings will be made uh, to, to, to various things, you know, um, curses, hexes, um, candles are used um special um like seals you know um like the, the the lesser keys of solomon things like that are used symbolism is massively used symbolism is a is a real big deal in the demonic you know um and 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 you know they um they believe in these things you know and 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 they do work they're proven to work and, and we see symbolism absolutely everywhere you know our society is awash with symbolism you know, and, and, and shame on anyone who, who, who thinks it's a myth, because it's not. It, it's, um, it's ancient and it, and it does work. Yeah. I, I better pass you on to the others. I'd love to talk to you for a couple of hours, but thank you very much, Janet. I'll pass you on to Harvard. Thank you. God bless. Thank you so much. It's, um, it's a real honor to have you here on the, uh, on the show. And um, I also... Um, the, yeah, well, I deal with this subject, especially in, in Canada, uh, where there also is a lot of pedophilia and also yeah. a lot of Satanism. Um, uh, when I see it from this, from, from the global point, uh, on the one hand, uh, the society, they try to make it uh, social acceptable right now, because uh, that several times they try to change the law, also in Germany and in other in other countries. Then we have uh, the quantity of these things is it's huge. Yeah, we are talking about uh, a one hundred fifty billion dollar market question mark and sixty million people in slavery. One fifth of, of them yeah. are children, and this is the um, and these are the official uh, figures, and uh, we don't know how much is unofficially. Um, do you do you think what is the target of all these things? Do you think they want to exchange the society in narcissists and psychopaths, or 
because all of control? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's strange because I get people contact me from all around the world and I get a disproportionate amount do actually contact me from Canada. You know, um, they are changing society. You know, uh, if we look, they removed it from its shelves two years ago, but up until two years ago, um, Toys R Us in the United States was selling um, Ouija boards aimed, aimed at young girls who were a pink colour. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely shocking that, um, that, that you, you've got something so just appalling. And, you know, teenage girls are very, very vulnerable, spiritually vulnerable age. Um, so they're getting there, they're doing it, you know. And like I said earlier, people are losing their way. You know, we are seeing more and more demonic influence coming into society. Um, the, the, the rise of the paganism, New Age is another big one, and you know, diluting Christianity, diluting who Jesus Christ really was. He's seeing religious education almost disappear from the curriculum, especially in, in, in uh, the schools in the United Kingdom. So, we're pretty much on our way to it. I mean, I'm just hoping that it is reversible, but I think. There's going to be a lot of pain if we if we're to if we're to get this back on track, um, and people just don't believe anymore. They just have no belief system, you know, when, when it comes to Christianity and the way forward, you know. But I'm at a loss. I mean, all we can do is the right thing and just keep moving forward. I mean, the devil is the liar, you know, and, and we are seeing uh, programs on Netflix such as called Lucifer. I mean, you know, sugarcoating, you know, uh, and making it warm and cuddly, what the devil is, you know? Yes. It's, how is this even allowed? You know, it, it's just so wrong. You know, we, we've got no Christianity represented in British um, politics anymore. No, we're a Christian yeah. nation. Well, we've just gone past, I'm not knocking any religion, but we're, we're now in the... Um, uh, in Ramadan, you know, coming up to Eid, and in London, there's there's a, a lot of um, symbol, of, you know, uh, big signs up on, on, on roundabouts on the roads um, relating to Happy Ramadan. We didn't have anything saying Happy Easter, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and symbolising Christianity, Jesus Christ, over an Easter period, absolutely nothing. So how is that allowed, you know? Or not allowed. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know. So. And, and uh, uh, especially concerning rituals, uh, because uh, in my opinion, many parents do not understand how dangerous Halloween is for their children. Yeah, yeah. Because, because uh, it is. Uh, um, first of all, concerning the um, let's say uh, cause and effect. Yeah, the children want to yeah, make yeah. Uh, fear to the people and get feared, and uh, and it's also it's um, it's a day of harvesting. Can you can you give a comment on that? Because I think yeah. many children, many parents should should know that when they make uh, Halloween parties for the children. Well, there, there, there's a lady who's, who's a therapist and she's a former victim and survivor of satanic ritual abuse, and she's one of the um, 
the, the, the primary therapist for DID. Her name is Carolyn Bramhall. And, um, and she speaks out so strongly against Halloween. And she said, for God's sake, do not let your children practice Halloween. And uh, last Halloween, uh, you know, bear in mind it's in, in the cold months, um, a load of wasps um, came into our house because they're not active that time of year. And, and, and they stung all over her face. And she said she didn't even know where they came from. They just got attacked. Every time she speaks out about Halloween, in some bizarre form or another, she gets attacked. So it is. It's, um, it's, a, it's a shocking festival. But, you know, the, the American culture is, has put it on all of us. And people will make the effort to, to celebrate Halloween. Yet they won't celebrate any Christian festival, you know. So we have now got this inversion operating, you know, especially in the UK. And um, do you think, for example, because I I realized in the last couple of weeks the sense of the movie Purge, for example, where they make um, where they make rituals or where they where they have the allowance uh, the approval to kill someone in one night and nothing will happen. And this is a city of narcissists and uh, psychopaths. And uh, do you think or do you see that all the politicians have this kind of character? Or that many of them have the kind of character? Well, well I mean, I've, I've, I've been privileged enough to um, have some, some dealings with politicians. And th those that, that are meant to really be um, forwarding the safeguarding of children and um, pushing forward into these independent investigations into historical abuse have failed. But there are some good politicians. I mean, I've been approached by one guy who turned around and said, you know, he's a, he's a Tory politician, and he said, don't think that the, uh, the government um, are going to look into this, John, because they're not. This is not going to get looked into. Do not put too much faith in this, because it's not going to happen. You're not going to get the result you want. And, and unfortunately for the victims and survivors, this is a real kick in the teeth. Because they, they think that the right thing's going to get done, but it's not. And uh, not only are the politicians not going to put any funding towards this, the, the police services, the various police services are not going to investigate it. It's not going to happen. You know? Um, so people really need to, to get a reality check and start preparing themselves and getting disappointed because they'll hold like i've just given evidence for an independent investigation um that was set up by the british government but it's an independent inquiry it's not going to result in anyone being prosecuted all they're going to ever say is that lessons have been learned let's move on um, and this is all we're going to do so no they're not they're not you know until something changes we had a chief constable for, for a county force in the United Kingdom. His name's Mike Veal, uh, probably the only chief constable because our police force um, is split up into various counties. Um, and it, he um, opened in a, an investigation into the former Prime Minister, Ted Heath. And he said that Ted Heath, our former Prime Minister, not only was he a paedophile, uh, and if he was alive today, he would stand trial. He was also an active Satanist. Uh, this chief constable then endured, like the rest of us whistleblowers, years and years of torment. So, you know, 
it, it comes to us all, no matter what rank they are, you know, once they start putting their head above the parapet, they are going to get hurt, you know, and they are really going to get hurt. So, you know, when, when anyone says to me, you know, is, is it prudent to stand up and speak out? Well, it's the right thing to do, but you've got a family to think about. You've got an income to think about, you know, and if you, you have got a family that relies on your sole income, be very careful what you do because you're going to find yourself um, out of a job and probably imprisoned. You know, and that's not just me, that's coming from every other single police whistleblower <coughs> of prominence. Brilliant. No, John, it was a real pleasure and I passed to Grace. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, John. Thank you so much for being with us and thank you for everything Hi, that you do. <laughs> You're awesome. You can talk to us and drive at the same time. So, the viewers would like also to send greetings to you and to truly tell you that they appreciate everything that you do and that they said, someone said that you must be a real warrior to be able to even withstand everything that you're doing and all the challenges. So, now, when you mentioned John, all the, it seems like, from what I understand, everything is embedded in all things. Like everything is now systemic, the root cause of this is systemic in all faiths, in all religions, in all spiritual practices. So in your, in, in what you've been doing, what is it? Is there one uh, practical ritual and from which ritual would be good in order for the survivors really be healed okay because if if they're all from different religion uh, well, well yeah so well, well i would say you need to speak out uh, you know you know that's the main thing empower yourself you know there is help out there um when, when you're dealing with ritualistic abuse you know you may, I, I don't know if anyone can see this. I don't know if you can see this. There's a car in front of me. The number plate, I don't know if you can see it. It's, it's all the sixes. So, uh, 666. So, uh, that's just very strange in front of me now. Um, but, um, you know, speak out. If your abusers are alive, report them to the police. Um, it might not be the outcome you want. Um, therapy, you know is needed um there are some good therapists out there uh, sometimes it can be difficult but you, a lot of people do stuff online if it comes from satanic abuse you know you're going to be dealing with did as well you know um for me also having a faith i believe in jesus you know and, and jesus hates the devil uh, so that you know if you're going to go to anyone you can't go far wrong and go to god um but again, it, it, it's a very difficult one because it, I struggle to get people. We've got a, we've got a brilliant um, guy that we work with who does um, deliverance and things like that, um, a pastor. But if you get someone in a church, they may well have come from abuse um, in which it was done in a church, um, which seems to be the case with, with, a, lot, with a lot of the... Um, uh, systemic uh, abuse that, that we encounter in the UK, the Anglican Church, 
or the um, the Catholic Church were the venues for it. So getting someone in and, and uh, praying over. I think John got frozen already. So. Oh, well, well, he hasn't had an accident, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. So, John, if you could still hear us, we do appreciate really your time for being with us. And perhaps. Uh, hello. You're coming back oh. online. Sorry, I see oh, okay. some of you. Um, uh, Are you okay, John? This one here. Yeah. Well, I think my I would have liked John to ask you, what country is the worst in all this? Hello, I, 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 I can hear you. I'll just sort of um. I'll speak to a bit later. All right, so I've just just lost my wingman now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, could have come. Yeah, it's up to Yeah, all right. So I so I've got I've got my cameraman back. All right, so that's oh. good. Um, uh, right, so that, that's all I saw, John. That would have been lovely. Yeah, so I, I would say, you know, speak out, you know, and, and not only that, they, we've seen huge successes with people setting up survivor groups. Okay. Um, okay. And, and that's that good has, to that hear. Has resulted, that, yeah, that has resulted in, you know, a lot of group therapy, but also strengthening numbers. So what, what then happens? is that they, they manage then to um, take on the local authorities and the places that have failed them. And we've had some really good successful lawsuits which have resulted in people receiving um, life-changing payouts. Now, it's not about the money, but, you know, it, it, it takes the sting out of being poor that when, when you qualify, uh, you know, for a financial um, inducement. So. You know, uh, the problem is you're, you're going to go into a place where old wounds are going to get opened. Now, okay. um, that's not necessarily a good thing. And if you haven't got a support network, it can be um, a very, very traumatic thing. Um, okay, however, just so, yeah, so you, what you're saying is that not to lose hope in some type of spiritual practice, whatever it is and it continues to really reach out to that support because there's always like well, well, a healing if, if, if you look at um well if you, if you look at any survival group it starts by one person coming forward so what okay. what is first a person uh, is denigrated for and they're disbelieved you know all of a sudden you know it's no longer incredulous it has got merit to it, you know. Um, you're going to get survivors that are harboring alcohol problems, drug addiction, mental health, and they're going to easily be rubbished by, especially by the criminal justice system, especially mm. in the UK because we've got a terrible bit of legislation called evidence of bad character. And you know, again, it's a long-winded thing. But if you've got someone backing up. When you investigate, you've got to consolidate a story. You've got to put meat on the bones um, and get corroborating evidence. And this is what happens when more and more people come forward. Okay. Well, thank you, John. Now, the last question is, which country have you seen that is worst victimized? 
Um, but, well, I'm now seeing um, a lot of survivors coming out of West African countries, um, uh, Caribbean islands. Um, the UK is very bad. Um, Canada, again, getting a lot of examples coming out of Canada. Uh, it seems to be... It seems to be all over the place. I mean, what we've got to look at is what countries are having success in courts with satanic ritual abuse. I mean, we've had something like 12, 12 su successful prosecutions in the UK um, over the last 10 years. I know Wilfred Wong highlights a lot of them. Um, again, we, we look at what happened to Wilfred. I mean, he spoke out and the next thing he's in prison. So it's, I don't know, I think... You know, a lot is coming out of Southern Ireland. I, I hear uh, so much, considering this is a very staunch Catholic country. Um, I, I, I hear very similar accounts um, that, that come from that place and, and very disturbing examples, very extreme examples of satanic ritual abuse. Um, very, very supernatural um, stuff coming from there as well. Um, so... Um, I think the UK is, is very bad and the thing is with the UK we have this, this perverse practice of punishing our survivors really really putting them through the most abhorrent cross-examination getting them disbelieved and, and on many occasions we're seeing now victims being prosecuted and imprisoned for very lengthy prison sentences so yeah I, I, I would say the United Kingdom is um one of the worst thanks again john and uh, you take care of yourself and we really appreciate your time and maybe in uh, a couple of months again when you're not too busy please join us and continue to keep exposing yeah. what you know okay so don't hesitate yeah, yeah, no, to yeah, I, do, I, I do apologize for being mobile it's just that we've been uh, um uh, you know, uh, a conference today with, with, with some survivors and dealing with stuff to do with knife crime and, um, you know, a couple of people that we've helped, we've mentored, have been with us. So it's been a bit of a frenetic day, but thank you so much for this forum. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, John. Okay, and if there's no more last-minute uh, information from you, we'd like to say goodbye to temporarily to our viewers as well. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much, John. Thanks a lot for your work. Thank you. 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 Thank you.